Daniel chapter 5. Um, the sermon will be the whole chapter, but we're just going to read from verse 17 to verse 30. Okay? And when you read, bear in mind, okay, you don't have to read it out loud. You can read it softly. And um, as long as you follow, okay? Kind of three. One, two, three. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gift be for yourself and give your reward to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, give Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people, nation, and languages tremble and fear before him. Whom he would, he kill, and him he would, he keep alive. Whom he would, he raise up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkey. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God ruled the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessel of his house have brought, brought before you, and you and your lord, your wife and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whom has is your bread, and whose all are your ways, you have not honor. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. The Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We know that your word has power and it's already working inside of us heart right now, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to shape us, Lord, because the only one that can transform us is your word. My words mean nothing. But when we live with your word, we will live with hope, knowing, Lord, that you have transformed our very life. And I pray that that will happen tonight. And when we leave this place, we know that we have encountered your word and your word have transformed our life. And we surrender everything to your hand. In the mighty Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, welcome to Roxine International. If this is your first time, I will welcome you. I see a couple of new faces, or maybe it's an old faces that I'm not familiar with. I'm not, one, I'm not sure which one, because I haven't seen you guys for four months at least. And if you're not with us uh, online, welcome as well. Now, let me start. Have you heard of the phrase deja vu before? Like, you guys know what deja vu, right? Like, um, deja vu, literally translated as already seen. Like it is the feeling that you have already lived what you are experiencing at that moment. So when you read Daniel chapter 5, I don't know if you feel that way, 
but you should have some sense of deja vu. Do you feel that? Because Daniel chapter 5 is very similar to Daniel chapter 2, 3, and 4. I mean, do you guys notice that? If you've been following this series of Daniel, you feel like, you know, I feel like this story happened before. Okay? But the, so the life of Belshazzar is actually the deja vu of the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And the same pride that we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar that we talked about last week actually is very evident in the life of Belshazzar. However, there is one striking difference. In the life of Nebuchadnezzar, when God humbled him, Nebuchadnezzar repented and got restored. Remember the story last week? But in the story of that we're going to talk about today, in the story of Belshazzar, the Lord confronted Belshazzar of his pride, and yet he does not repent and he perish. Okay? But once again, okay, the theme of the book of Daniel, if you've been following it, is very clear. That God is the sovereign king of the universe. He gives the kingdom to whomever he will. He makes king and he throws out king. Okay? He's in absolute control of every little affair of man. And God will not be mocked. He will humble whom he needs to humble. And he will exalt whom he wants to exalt. Okay? And for those of you who trust in him, that's, this is good news. For those of us who trust in him, you will receive life. God will exalt the humble. But for those who challenge his authority, you will receive judgment. Okay? So today we're going to talk about that part, the judgment part. I know it's not pleasing, but today we're actually in a very part. Out of the book of Daniel that we're going to talk, the sixth chapter that we're going to talk, this is my least favorite. Okay? Chapter 5, let me tell you, from the very moment that I prepared this, I'm like, Phew, I don't know what I'm going to say for this chapter, but um, we're here. Okay, so what happened so far? Let's go back. Let's recap what, what we learned the last couple of weeks, if you've been watching online. So previously, in Against All Odds, we know that Daniel and his friend were sent into exile, right? Into Babylon. And now, because they sent into exile to Babylon, they actually offered different way of life. And we know by, uh, there's a false prophet by the name of Hananiah that says this, Daniel and friends, you, got, you have two choices. So you either keep your faith and withdraw from Babylon, or you lose your faith and become one with the Babylon. Okay, that's the, the choices that Hananiah offered. However, the prophet Jeremiah, if you remember, offered the third way. And Jeremiah said, no, 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 there's another way. And that way is this, for you to be faithful to God, at the same time, work from the prosperity of Babylon. Okay, and we call it the third way, or some other way we call it is um, spiritual, bicultural, sojourners and exile, or the gospel way. So basically, it's the same thing. It means you got to be faithful to God and be a blessing to the city at the same time. Now, how many of you realize that this is actually hard? Okay, the two other choices are a lot easier. Okay, get this right. It is far easier for us to either withdraw from the culture or become one the culture, with the culture. But God commands us what? Influence the culture. So this is something different. Okay, and this is extremely hard. If you've been looking at the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then you know that living this way is actually hard, filled with many challenges. And yet, this is the way that God wants us to live. Okay? And because of the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you realize what happened last week? The most powerful man on the earth by the name of Nebuchadnezzar confessed that the Most High is the one true God. Why? Because there are four people who actually chose the third way, the hard way. That is to be faithful to God and be a blessing to the city at the same time. So, at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar praises the Most High, and then after that, you never hear from him anymore. 
boom, he disappeared from the story. But then in Daniel chapter 5, um, do you realize something strange happened? We are introduced to a brand new king. And what is his name? Belshazzar. Here's the weird thing though. We have no hint who's, who, he, who he was prior to this verse. Suddenly, so chapter 5 begins with this new king in Babylon, Benanel of Belshazzar. So let me give you the context of what happened. Actually, between chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's actually 23 years gap. Okay? There's 23 years gap. And Belshazzar is actually the fourth in line after Nebuchadnezzar. The fourth king after Nebuchadnezzar. So not, he's not the direct son of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so Belshazzar is the fourth king, and he's the last king of Babylon. Okay, this is fun facts. For many years, uh, many scholars question who is this Belshazzar, because his name is not written in the history. So for many years, um, historical scholars, they kind of mock this passage, because, see, you can't trust the Bible. Belshazzar, king of Babylon, we don't have a king of Babylon by the name of Belshazzar. Okay, the last king of Babylon that is written on history, his name is Nabonidus. Okay, I know it's a hard name. Nabonidus. But here's the funny thing. So they, they critics the Bible. They say, you can't trust the Bible. The Bible is wrong. But here's the funny thing. In 1854, they found out that the Bible was right. They found evidence that, in fact, there was a king by the name of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was actually the son of Nabonidus. Okay? And this is very interesting. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can trust the Bible. Okay, history is actually playing catch up with the Bible. Whatever is written in the Bible, you can trust it. It is the word of the sovereign king of the everlasting kingdom. And when God said in Daniel chapter 2, remember, that one day Babylon will end. Today in Daniel chapter 5, we see Babylon will come to an end. And it will be replaced by a new kingdom, the kingdom of Persia. Okay, the gold statue will be replaced with the silver. The kingdom of Babylon will be replaced with, uh, with Persia. But the sovereign king has made known is coming to pass. God is not limited by any king or kingdom. He's the one true sovereign king over all king. Now, now let's, let's jump to Daniel chapter 5. Now, similar to last week, we're not going to learn from the life of Daniel. In Daniel 1 to 3, we learn from the life of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, Abednego. But in Daniel chapter 4, we learn from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And today, we're going to learn from the life of Belshazzar. And this is actually difficult, okay? If you know the story, this is a weird story. Let me just confess, it's a weird story, okay? But it's actually a very important story for us. We're going to focus on the life of Belshazzar. Three things that we can learn. The great feast, the fish crasher, and the ultimate feast, okay? The first one, the great feast. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, it says this. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lord and drank wine in front of the thousands. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessel of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be broke, that the king and his lord, his wife, and his concubine might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessel that had been taken out of the temple the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lord, his wife, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Quick question. Anybody love to party? I mean, this is a, a safe place to confess. Any, any, any party lover here? You guys don't want to raise your hand, right? Any party lovers, okay? Okay, some of you raise your hand, okay. Um, apparently, Belshazzar loved to party. Okay, you can tell. 
So let me give you context what happened. This is kind of weird. Okay? His part is a bit weird. Because if you know, if you read to the end of chapter 5, then you know Babylon is actually one day away from extinction, right? Babylon is about to no more. The very next day, Persia will overtake the city of Babylon. Okay, and this is not a surprise. They're not surprised. Oh my gosh, Persia suddenly come. No, 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 no. Apparently from a few months before, Persia already started invaded Babylon and destroyed many of Babylon's stronghold. So now, here's what happened. So Persia is actually knocking at Babylon's door. Remember the wall that we see um, last week, the, that huge wall? So Persia is actually just outside the wall, waiting to invade Babylon. And you know what Belshazzar does? You know what the king does in the midst of this danger? He throw a big party, a wild party. Okay, and, and this is a wild party, and it, this party kind of strange because, one, Belshazzar invited his wife, concubine, and nobleman to the same party. Usually, uh, the culture of those days is wife have their own party, concubine have their own party, my friend have their own party, so they don't go together. But somehow, these three groups, they are invited to the same party. That's strange, number one. The second thing that is strange is this. Um, Belshazzar take out the vessel that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple of God and use it for the party. So he used the vessel like the cup and that is holy, that belongs to the Lord for the party. Okay? And the third, he used that vessel to praise his gods, the god of gold, silver. Okay? Now, so basically this is what happened. Belshazzar is basically mocking at the god of the Bible. Belshazzar is actually spitting in the face of the Bible, a god of the Bible. It's like this. If you're working, imagine one day you come to work, okay, you come to work in the morning, and then you find out that all your belongings are thrown outside of the office. You guys know what it means? You guys know what it means, right? It means you're out, you're fired. And this is what actually happened in the story. So when, when Belshazzar took out all the vessels of God and used it, basically he's firing out. He's, he's basically saying to the God of the Bible, you're fired. He's spitting in the God of the Bible. Now, Here's the question that I want us to wrestle with, though. Why party? I mean, you guys ever ask that question, why party? Like, you're about to die, right? You're about to die the very next day. Why throw a wild party? Okay, why make a great feast when your enemy is knocking at your door? But here's like, let me tell you something. Okay, you know this. Get this right. There is something about facing death that makes you desire significance in life. I mean, do you realize that? There's something about facing death that makes you desire significance in life. I mean, if you ever experience a life-threatening moment, you know it, right? After you experience that life-threatening moment, somehow you want your life to be significant. Let me give you the example. COVID-19. Uh, because of this pandemic, a lot of people begin to think, right? Uh, is, what is the meaning of my life? Does my life really matter? What am I doing here? Why? Because you are faced with that. Okay, because here's the thing about you and me. There's something in us that desires significance. You and I, we don't like the idea that we're just a speck of dust that no one will remember. Especially in the light of death. And if you believe there's no life after death, then you're like, I gotta make best of my life right now. I want to be somebody. I want to be significant. And because of that, there are three things that we pursue in light of significance. And these three things are evidence in Belshazzar party. First, it's relationship. Right? It's the wife, the concubine, and the nobleman. Here's what happened. In order for us to feel like we're somebody, we look to our lover, 
we look to our family, we look to our companion, okay? So we basically say this, if people just love me, then my life matters. So we thought that relationship will finally satisfy and complete us and take away the emptiness that we feel in our heart. But do you realize this is the problem of every relationship? Because every relationship, the root problem of every relationship is this. You try to make that person, your friends or your parents or your children or your lover, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, whoever that is, you make him God. You want him to make you feel significant in life and that destroy your relationship because no one is good enough to be God for you. Okay, let me talk to the man first. Okay, man. Woman cannot give significance to your life. Do you know why? Okay. She might look pretty to your eyes for the first couple of years. But let me tell you, you cannot handle her. How do I know? Just talk to her a week prior to her period cycle. Okay? Do you think you know her? Think again. You don't, right? You're like, who, who is this person that I marry? Okay? And, and so that's why, <laughs> there's a joke that says this. That's why women are called women. You know why? Because the first few years of the relationship, the man goes this, whoa, man, check out my wife. But after a few years, the husbands go, whoa, man, check out my wife, right? But now let me talk to the woman, okay? Woman. Man cannot give significance to your life. Do you know why? Just look at us. How often do we get it right? I mean, if a guy scored three out of ten, that guy's already a good guy. Right? You agree, woman? Because we don't understand you. Man, woman, we don't understand you. You are different creation to us. You are unique. We don't get you and you don't get us. So now, so for example, like, you know, we you, you tell us a problem. We tell you a solution. And then you get angry for us for trying to solve your problem. And you're like, wait, why? I'm, I'm just giving you a solution. And like, we're going to go out to dinner. And we ask you, what do you want to eat? And you say, up to you. And we pick KFC. And you get upset at us because you pick KFC. You're like, I already asked you. And you said, up to us, right? So there's this rhythm that it just does not work. And this applies to every relationship between parents, husband, wife, kids, if you put expectation on your friends, spouses, or family to feel that emptiness in you, you are just sowing conflict in your life. Because they cannot do it. It is impossible for them to bear the burden to be God in your life. They cannot make you feel significant. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is this, accomplishment. It's the goal and silver. So now, rather than looking into relationship, we feel like this. If I'm just rich enough, if I'm just powerful enough, or maybe if I'm just successful enough, then I'll be somebody. Have you ever feel that way? Let me tell you the bad news. It does not work. How do I know? There's a life of a king by the name of Solomon that proved that. Now, if you do not know who Solomon is, Solomon is probably the most accomplished person in the universe. Okay, let me, let me tell you a few things about him. First of all, he's very rich. Uh, the Bible said that everything in his house is made of gold. So, okay, that, that includes his toilet seat. Any, any, any of you guys have your toilet seat made of gold? None, right? So this guy, everything in his house is made of gold. So he's very rich. Not only that, but he's also very talented. Apparently, he writes thousands of poems and songs. Okay? Like, okay, rich and talented. And not only that, apparently he's really wise as well. 
He's the one who wrote the book of Proverbs. Although some people argue, like, no, I don't think he wrote the book of Proverbs because he cannot live it. But most likely, it's Solomon. Not only that, he's romantic. Okay, he wrote the most, the most romantic book in the, book in the whole Bible. Do you know what it's called? Song of Solomon. It's all about sex and love. And not only that, he's good looking. Okay, guys, how many of you guys realize this is not fair already? Okay, he's rich, he's talented, he's wise, he's romantic, and he's good looking. See, guys cannot have those five. It's impossible. If you guys just have two, then you're lucky. Okay? You're a rare item. But Solomon has all five. And now, you know, at the end of his life, even though he's the most accomplished person in the universe, he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes, which is very, very um, sad, depressing. He says this, at the end of the day, everything's vanity. Everything is meaningless. Okay, the word vanity means it's striving after wind. I, I love the image. So when you strive to, after wind, what happens? You try to grab it, but it continues to evade you. You can feel it, but you can never take hold of it. Okay? Or in the word, on the word of my favorite theologian by the name of Lincoln Park, he says this, I try so hard and got so far, but in the end, it does not even matter. Do you know that suicide rates, suicide rates is actually highest among the most rich, powerful, and successful people? Why? They seem to have everything we desire in life. And yet, when they get there, they know, no, it is striving after win. It does not work. It cannot fulfill your longing for significance. No matter what you do, you will always experience a sense of unfulfillment. Okay, that's the second one. And the third thing that we run to, I think the most dangerous one, is religion. Remember, Belshazzar praises the gods, the gods of gold, the gods of silver in his body. Okay? This is by far the most popular and the most dangerous way. Because here's the what do you believe. You just assume, well, okay, there's the set of belief that I'm going to live by. So if I just do well, okay, if I just follow the commandment, if I'm just being a good person, then my life will be significant. Then I'm going to be somebody. Then I know I'm going to be worth it. Okay, let me talk to Christian because most of us are Christian here. So here's what Christian do. We try to find significance by what? By reading our Bible, by praying, by coming to church in the first church service after COVID. And you're like, wow, I'm a good Christian, right? I'm here and many people are not here. And many people are live streaming, right? You feel like you're good. You feel like you have something to boast about. And now because of that, you feel like, you know, this is how I find my value. Let me tell you why it does not work. Because as long as significance rely on what you need to do, as long as significance rely on something that you got to do, prove to yourself, you will continue to oppress other people who are different from you. Because in order for you to feel significant, you have to oppress others who do not have the same value as you. So that means your life is not only significant. People do not like you. So that's why many Christians today are called self-righteous. That's why many Christians today are hated. They're very stingy. They're very, you know, very easy to get upset. Why? Because they're self-righteous. So here's what Belshazzar show us. He threw a great party. He tried to find significance in the face of that, in relationship, in accomplishment, and in, and in religion. But here we find it does not work. It is not 
working. Let's continue with the story then, okay? The second thing that we can see in the story is the fish crasher. So, in the middle of the great fish, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the story. In the middle of the great fish, you know what happened? Suddenly what happened? A, great, a finger show up, right? Out of nowhere. A finger show up out of nowhere and start riding on the king's palace. A finger. And when Bell sees it, when Belshazzar sees it, the, face of his, the color of his face changes, he falls on his knee, and his limb gives way. Okay, the word limb gives way, actually the nice word of saying he pee on his pen. Why? Because he's extremely afraid. He saw something that he cannot express. And then he's, he, he finally called all the wise men of Babylon. And he made this promise. If anyone can tell me what that writing is, I'm going to give that person great riches and reward. Deja vu, anyone? Right? Exactly similar to what Nebuchadnezzar does. But no one, no one can do it. Okay? No one can do it. Okay? But here's the, the thing that's really cool, though. He says this. If anyone can do it, he'll become the third ruler in the kingdom. Here's a fun fact. Why third ruler? Why not second ruler? Do you know why? Because Belshazzar is co-reigning with his father, Nabonidus. So that's why the highest position that he can give is third ruler. So with another word, the Bible knows its fact. Even when history for hundreds of years cannot Puzzled. Why third ruler? The Bible is clear. But yet, none of the wise men can translate, interpret that writing, okay? Finally, someone come to the rescue, the queen mother, okay? So there's some argument. Who is this queen mother? Most likely, it's the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, still alive. So uh, the queen mother come, and the queen mother has a solution, okay? You want to know how to interpret that writing? You guys know the answer? Two words. Get Daniel. That's it. Okay, he's the one. He's the only one who's able to do that. Get Daniel. And, oh, true. So finally Daniel come. And when Daniel entered the scene, what you need to know is Daniel's already an old man. He's 80 years old. Okay, so imagine an old man coming to this wild party, you know, with all the R&B music. So he, he comes to this wild party, an old man, not invited. Apparently he already lost his position. He's demoted from power. He no longer had position in Babylon. So, and Belshazzar said, can you interpret it? And then you're like, yeah, duh. I've been doing this for all my life for, for the previous father, for Nebuchadnezzar. But what, this is what I love about Daniel, though. Before he tells Belshazzar what he wants to hear, he preached to Belshazzar first. Okay? All Belshazzar wants is just tell me what the meaning of that writing. And then he said, all right, I'll tell you. But hold on a second. Let me preach to you first. <laughs> I love that. Like, he's a preacher. So Daniel says, okay. First of all, I don't need your gift, okay? I take away. I don't, I don't need your gift, okay? But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what the letter means. But first of all, I'm going to preach to you. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem with you, Belshazzar. You do not recognize who the Most High God is. Because your forefather, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the most powerful man in Babylon. He has the greatest power, no king, kingdom like him. He's on, ups, on a level on his own. But yet when he thinks that he has it all, when he becomes proud, you know what Most High God did? The Most High humbled him. And he became like a beast until he acknowledged that he's nobody. And then God restored him. Okay? And he's, and he's, he's so basically Daniel summarized Daniel chapter 4. But here's what I want you to pay attention. What happened next? Verse 22 and verse 23. 
and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessel of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wife and your concubine have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your bread, and whose are your ways, you have not honor. Do you know what's the problem with Belshazzar? The problem with Belshazzar is not that he does not know. He knows. See, Daniel said, make very obvious, you knew. You knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew when he exalted himself, God humbled him. You know better. But here's the problem. Even though you have the right information, you are not submitting yourself to that information. Here is an important lesson for us. Having the right information does not guarantee the right response. You can have all the right information and still choose to live your life in such a way that disobey God's way. Right education is important, but right education is not the answer. Let me prove it to you. Okay? I need you guys to participate, like all ET, all of that, participate. Okay? Simple question. Okay? How many of you guys believe that honesty is good and lying is bad? Raise your left hand. Honesty is good and lying is bad. Raise your left hand. Hi. Okay, keep it up. Keep it up. And how many of you guys know, even though it's true, but you still lie anyway? Raise your right hand. If both of your hands are not raised, you are lying right now, okay? And you can high-five one another. No, okay, don't, don't, don't. Sit social distance. Don't high-five. But this is what you know. You know this. Understanding the Word of God is important. But understanding does not change us. We need the Spirit of God to make the Word of God come alive in us and changes us. Otherwise, what we know is just information. To have the right information does not change you. Then this is the biggest difference between religion and gospel. Biggest difference. Because religion can you tell you what is the right thing to do. Religion can tell you the right information. Religion can tell you the right way to live. But religion cannot change you. Because religion only can make you look good on the outside. Let me, let me give you an example. Okay, let's say there's one man who was a womanizer. You guys know what womanizer is? That, is that a word that's not used? Playboy. Okay, let's, let's say there's a man who was a playboy. So basically, uh, in his college day, um, he liked to sleep around with different girls and break their heart. So he would woo different girls, sleep with them, and then dump them. Okay? So he has a reputation as a heartbreaker. But then one day, he became a Christian, okay? So he told everyone, guys, I met Jesus. I'm no longer, I'm gonna, I'm no longer gonna sleep with anyone. I am converted, I'm a Christian now. And, and then he started coming to Roxy International, okay? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing, right? And then he started joining our MC. And he started coming to Bible study, and started joining our MC, and we're like, wow, God changes his life, it's amazing. But then what happened is this. As he joined MC, then you begin to realize that in every single discussion in MC, he always has to be right. Okay? So there's seven questions in discussion in MC. He answered all seven. Okay? He wanted to have the last word in everything. So he is the smartest. He has to be the smartest and he has to be the best. Okay? And then he loved to share the gospel. 
But when he shared the gospel with other people, you hear the tone, rather than compassion, rather than loving that person whom he shared the gospel with, he judged that person. Basically, you guys are terrible, horrible. I am so much better than you because I have the Bible. Now, do you guys see what happened now? Here's what happened. This person never changed. If before, if before, he tried to find significance by overpowering women in the relationship, now he tried to find significance using religion. So you know, he tried to overpower people using what? The Bible. He never changed. He might look changed in the outside, but in the inside, he is still the same person. Because the only thing that can change who you are in the inside is the gospel. The gospel tells you that you cannot have significance on your own. Significance is something that you have to receive. Significance is not about what you do. It's about what's been done for you. So let's continue with the story. So after Daniel preached to Belshazzar, after he does the mini sermon, okay, now Daniel like, okay, let me interpret to you this word, mini, mini, tackle person. Okay, next one. This is the word, right? Not mini, mini, sorry, many, many. Many, many, tackle person. Okay, the little translation is this, numbered, numbered, weight divided. Okay, anyone want to take a guess what does it mean? Any, any dream interpreter here? Okay, let me tell you what it means. Okay, so Daniel, uh, by the way, I'm not that smart to know what it means. Daniel actually tell us what it means, so I'm just going to tell you what Daniel said. Mene, mene, tackle, parsin. Numbered means this, King Belshazzar, God has numbered your days, and God has said your time is about to end. Okay, that's numbered. God has numbered your day. But the second one is this, tackle. Tackle means the word weight. It means this, God has put you on a scale, scale of justice, and God found you wanting. Okay, next picture. Okay, I need to make sure that I get this right, so I talk to our lawyer, um, the, one, the only lawyer in this room. So make sure, is this called Lady Justice? Yes, this is called Lady Justice. Do you guys know what Lady Justice is? You guys can see it in many uh, Supreme um, Court. Okay, this is the symbol of justice. So the Lady Justice, remember he, how she holds uh, scale, weight? So basically, the idea behind this is this. She's going to weight um, what you do on the scale of justice. And she has a blindfold, which means she judges impartially. And that is exactly the picture of God. So God is saying to all of us and Belshazzar, God judges impartially. And when God judges Belshazzar in his scale of justice, he's found to be too light. He's found to be one thing and lead us to the next one, person, which means divided. God is basically saying, because you are too light, the swords of God will come for you and will divide your kingdom into two kingdoms, which is Medes and Persia. Many, many tekel person. Okay? You guys with me so far? Okay? Okay, and then what, what happened next? Say so you expect, okay, you expect Belshazzar to repent, right? You expect after all of this, you know, Belshazzar, you mock the sovereign God. You mock the most high God. And God has counted your days. God has weighed you on justice, on the scale of justice. And you're found wanting. And judgment is coming for you. You expect Belshazzar to say, you know what? I am wrong. Let me repent. But the story does not end that way. The story ended with Belshazzar not repenting. But he kept his word. So Belshazzar made Daniel the third most powerful man in the kingdom of 
Babylon. At first, Daniel, no, no, I don't want it. But Belshazzar insists, and finally, Daniel has the position. But think about it. That position is useless. Okay, it's like becoming a CEO of your company a day before it went bankrupt. Like, it's just useless. But don't miss the point. Okay, after this, Belshazzar is no more. But don't miss the point. What is the point? Here's the point. Daniel started as an exile in the kingdom of Babylon. But right now, He's promoted to become the third ruler in the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel will continue to the next kingdom in Daniel chapter 6. But Belshazzar and Babylon are no more. It shows us that no matter how powerful a king and kingdom is, they are nothing than a speck of dust in the sight of the Most High God. The Most High God is the true sovereign king, and his kingdom is the only kingdom that lasts forever. And those who put their trust in him will never be forsaken. That's the end of the story, okay? One more thing that we're going to learn from the story, and then we're done. The ultimate feast. What does this story teach us? So we're going to hit fast-forward button now. From the kingdom of Babylon, we're going to hit fast-forward to the end of days, which is the book of Revelation. Just a quick question. Any of you guys ever finished the book of uh, Revelation and know exactly what it means? Can you raise your hand? I want to learn from you. Okay? No one, right? Because this book, book of Revelation, even though it's great, awesome, it's filled with many mysteries. But there's one um, mystery that we're told. And that is, in the book of Revelation, the great Babylon appears again. And however, the great Babylon is no longer a kingdom, but the great Babylon is a picture of evil. A picture of evil. So now, in the book of Revelation, if you read Revelation chapter 19, what happened is this. There will come a day, God said, I will judge every evil. I will judge the great Babylon. The great Babylon, which is a picture of evil, will be no more. And God said, I will judge Babylon. And not only Babylon, God will judge every single one of us. So that means for you and me, there will be a time where many, many tekel parsin will be applied to us. Okay? So let's apply it to us. Many, many tackle person. Here's what happened. Many. All of our days are numbered. None of us will live forever. The day is, of judgment is coming for you and me. Tackle. You will be put in God's scale of justice. God will weight us with no partiality. God is the supreme judge. He will judge us according to his good and perfect standard. You will be weighed. Parsin, the sword of God is coming to divide us. You either have life or death. You either enter eternal joy or eternal condemnation. How many of you guys realize this is a bad news? Any, any of you guys realize this is a really, really bad news? Let me tell you why this is a bad news, Okay. Some of you might, no, this sounds good. No, no, this is actually really, really bad news. Why? Because it does not matter how awesome you are. It does not matter what your accomplishment in life is. It does not matter how great and good you are. Here's the thing that I know about you and me. When you and I are put in weights of God's scale of justice, the, the scale will never tilt on our favor. Do you know why? Because God's standard is perfection. God is holy. God is righteous. So God's standard is 100. Now, that's a problem. If God's standard is 100, what happens if you get 90? 
What happens if you get 70? What happens if you get 50? What happens if you get minus 5? Like some of you are older who have many sin. You're minus 10 maybe, right? What happens? You're like, there's no way you can stand on God's scale of justice and say, the scale, tail, or my favor, none. So whenever God weighed us on his scale of justice, here's what we find. We are too light. We are found wanting. And that is the bad news. Because if that's the case, the sorts of judgment is coming for us. However, there's one person that can tilt the scale on our favor. And his name is Jesus. And he's the good news for you and me too. For those of us who today who put our faith in Jesus, Jesus tilt that scale on our favor. In Luke chapter 11, so when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, basically what happened is this. So Jesus was casting out demon, right? Jesus was like, demon, out, 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 out. And, and all the, the religious leaders basically said, you know, you're casting out demons with the power of demons. Belzebul, prince of demons. And then Jesus said, no, 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 no. I do not cast out demons by the power of demons. And this is what he said in Luke 11 verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the only time in the New Testament where the word finger of God is used. In the Old Testament, the finger of God marks the end of the kingdom of Babylon. In the New Testament, the finger of God marks the beginning of the kingdom of God. And here's what I don't want you to miss, okay? This is because this is the most important part of the message. When Jesus announced the kingdom of God, he not only announced the kingdom of God, he announced that he is the king that come with the kingdom of God. And not only is that the king of, come that with the kingdom of God, he's different from every other king. He's not like Nebuchadnezzar. He's not like Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar seek their own glory, but Jesus, he has all the glory he wants to. He has all the significance, but you know what he did? Our king left behind his significance, left behind his glory, come become one of us, humble himself, and here's what he did. He lived the perfect score life for us. He got 100. No blemish whatsoever. He's the only one that can stand on God's scale of justice and say, Pam, the, till, the scale's still on my favor. The only one. But then, at the cross... What happened? He is punished. He received the source of judgment, which we should ask, why? Why does the perfect one, why does the only one that have the scale still on their favor receive the judgment of God? Here's the answers. Because at the cross, Jesus took our score, my score, your score, your minuses, and he endured the judgment of God for it. So that when you and I put your faith in God, here's what happened. Jesus' perfect score become your perfect score. Jesus' perfect score become my perfect score. So now when I put my faith in Jesus and when God weighed me, here's what God found. The weight tilt on my favor. The scale tilt on my favor. Because I stand not in my score. I stand in the righteousness and the score of Jesus Christ by my faith in him. My sin, no more, because Jesus took it. His righteousness is mine. That's the only way that you and I can stand confidence. Many, many take up our sin. Jesus took on the judgment of God so that when you and I put our faith in him, the scale of God's justice still on our favor. Jesus took our score and he gave us his perfect score.
But that is not the end. At the end of days, after the fall of great Babylon, Revelation 19 says this, verse 6 to 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reign. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saint. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Okay, here's the good news for you and me. For the people of God, there's an ultimate feast coming for us. And that ultimate feast is called the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus is preparing for us a great feast for us in the future, a party that will never end, a joyful party that will continue for millennia. And when you think the party cannot get any better, it is simply the beginning of the party. And this is what Jesus has store for you and me the moment we put our faith in him. This is how we find significance. Get this. We find significance not in living for what is temporal, but in living for what lasts forever. Our significance is not one in what we can do for ourselves, but in what Christ has purchased at the cross for us. This, my friend, is the feast of all feasts. And the order of Revelation says this, blessed are you if you're invited to this great feast. God is preparing for you a joy, significance that will last eternity. And he said, it's all yours. Great ultimate feast. Which begs us the question, where do you try to find your significance today? Are you looking to Belshazzar, great feast? Or are you looking to God, Jesus, ultimate feast in eternity? Are you full right now with the feast of this world? Or are you hungry, waiting for the ultimate feast of heaven? One more thing and I'm done. Z, you can, be, can return now. One of the questions of this text, okay, uh, this is hard, okay? One of the questions of this text that bothered me, and I hope it bothered you, is this. Why did God show mercy to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4? But God did not show mercy to Belshazzar in chapter 5. Here's my answer. I do not know. I really don't. But what I do know, the God of the Bible says this, He has mercy on whomever He wants to have mercy. So here's what I want to land today, okay? I do not want any of us here to presume on God's mercy. I do not want us to think it's okay for me to live in sin right now because I can repent tomorrow. I do not want any of us to think that, you know, you can fool God. You can trick God. He's a merciful God. He is. But let me tell you, you never know when the day of judgment comes. The day of judgment might come for you tonight. Many, many tackle passes might come for you tonight and you never know. That your days has been numbered. You and I cannot presume on God's mercy. 
So if there's any of you in this place that you have yet to put your faith in Christ or you're watching online and you have to put your faith in Christ, here's my encouragement. Do not, do not presume. Do not think that you can wait till tomorrow. Today might be the last day and today might be the message from God. Many, many tackle passing. Repent now before it's too late. Or the second one. You might be Christian. You might call yourself Christian, but you live, you're living. I'm not saying you fall in sin. You're living in sin. And that's you. Again, do not assume that God's mercy will be available for you tomorrow. If God speaks to you today, many, many take person, respond to Him. Because His mercy, His mercy is available right now. I know it. His mercy is available. He's calling you to repentance. Do not wait till tomorrow because tomorrow might be too late for you. And for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, here's the encouragement. Jesus has still the scale on your favor. You no longer have to find significance. No, it is already yours when Jesus purchases it at the cross. So let go of all Beshashar feasts in your hand right now and take hold of the ultimate feast that God has prepared for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your kindness, Lord, that bring us into repentance tonight. God, I don't know where your people is right now. I don't know where your people might be listening online, where they are right now in life. But I pray as they listen to your word, I pray that we respond rightly, God. I pray that we do not harden our heart, but rather we come humbly before you in repentance, begging for your mercy. And if tonight you speak to us, then we know that there's still chance for us, that you are still extending your mercy to us. So if there's any of you who wants to grab that mercy, just speak to him right now, say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And listen to his answer at the cross. It is finished. It's done. And God, for many of us in this place who maybe we still try to find significance in other things but you, continue to remind us, Lord, to look to you, to look to what you've done for us, to what you have purchased for us at the cross. And know that our significance is already ours. The ultimate feast is waiting for us. Ultimate joy forever and ever. Where we will reign with you till eternity. And God, I pray that we will look forward to that day. I pray that we continue to stay hungry waiting for that day. And we ask this in the name of beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.